Hi, and welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message, where we study scripture together verse by verse. Let's jump in now for this week's message. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, the youngest of his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. While Samuel anoints uh, David as king of Israel, David is not going to publicly become king yet. They're going to keep it a secret for a while. Um, That's just what happens, okay? So you remember Joshua. I'm shifting gears and changing stories. You remember Joshua. He did not kill all of the inhabitants of the promised land. We've talked about this a couple of times, kind of a mistake. There's just a few left, no big deal. God says, kill everybody, don't kill everybody. It's no big deal. Well, now we have a few Canaanites and a few uh, Philistines who were left alive. We're approximately 400 years away from Joshua and a giant Philistine from the town of Gath comes to challenge the armies of Israel. The Philistines gathered their army at Soko uh, and Azekah right here. So they come from Gath. This is where Goliath is from. They come and they gather in this valley right here, the Valley of Elah. That little flag is where things is happening. Saul gathers his army and he travels. That's not very orange, but this is kind of, this is the trip. And they meet here in the valley. You can kind of picture what is going on where you have these two armies, one side on either side of the Valley of Elah, where the Philistines are on the, on the west side, the Israelites are on the east side. And then Goliath, the Philistine, the Philistine champion from Gath came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. That's pretty significant. I didn't weigh more than 125 pounds until we started having kids. I gained weight with Diane. She just lost it differently than I never did. Verse six, he also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. There's always great men of faith leading the charge, huh? Last week we had Gideon hiding in the ground. This week we have Saul. He's behind his army worrying. Verse 12. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse. We just talked about him. An Epaphrite, uh, an Ephrathite, sorry, from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. My mind goes faster than my eyes can read. Jesse was an old man at this time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemiah, 
had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so that he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. I think we have Bethlehem on the map here. So the green line is where David's gonna make a trip over to to the valley where the army is. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report of how they're doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines, or they're supposed to be fighting. That's what everybody's saying is that they're out there fighting. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and the Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking to them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men ask? He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. And the man's entire family will be exempt from paying taxes. Okay, you got me now. Where's my sword? No taxes? What? David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending this, his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. But when David's older brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry because he knows what his younger brother's up to. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of back home? I know about your pride, your deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I, what have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to the, some others and asked the same thing and received the same answer. Now David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. Don't worry about the Philistines, David said to Saul. I'll go fight him. (laughs) Uh, Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight the Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. Case made. (laughs) When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. 
If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I love the Old Testament. (laughs) I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. So Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. It's a funny mental picture. David put it on, <clears throat> strapped the sword over it and took a step or two and fell over. Oh no, no, that's not what he said. He took a step or two to see what it was like for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I, I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistines. Let's pick up the story next week right there. (laughs) Goliath walked out toward David. I didn't plan on this, but it works. (laughs) And his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at the ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. He's really mad. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of Yahweh, Yahweh. No, (laughs) I love that song. In the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled today, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead, the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give, us, give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. He's a gutsy little fart. <laughs> we'll edit that out before he gets to the radio. The church grows in spite of me. (laughs) Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sunk into, uh, the stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone for he had no sword. Then David ran over and he pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and to cut off his head. David teaches us how to get ahead. Israel chases the Philistines away. We we said said earlier, he chases them. 
And this begins David's recognition as being a hero of Israel. From that time forward, Saul watched David and he becomes progressively more jealous of David's success. After big battles, the people would sing about Saul killing thousands and David killing tens of thousands. So Saul's jealousy grows until he is determined to kill David. There's a bunch of stories about that, but David evades Saul for several years. And then one day while they're in a battle, with the, with the Philistines, uh, Saul gets shot with an arrow. He's uh, wanting to avoid capture, and so he ends up falling on his sword, and he dies. That's the end of that. That was kind of anticlimactic, wasn't it? The United Kingdom. This is, this is how it's going to progress. Now we move to a warring kingdom. We're still kind of united, but tension has been building between the supporters of Saul and the supporters of David because the, the country is watching. We have a king, but he's kind of a failure as a king. And then we have this guy, David, who is leading the armies, who is winning victories and doing great things. And so people's allegiance starts to turn toward David. We have the 10 northern tribes. They're at odds with the two southern tribes when David becomes king. That gets us to 2 Samuel chapter five, when all the tribes of Israel went to David at Hebron and told him, we are your own flesh and blood. In the past, when Saul was our king, you were the one who really led the forces of Israel and the Lord told you, you will be the shepherd of my people Israel. You will be Israel's leader. So there at Hebron, King David made a covenant before the Lord with all the elders of Israel and they anointed him as king of Israel. Now, there are a bunch of stories about King David and I know I'm gonna, I hate to leave them all out. I know I'm gonna, somebody's after you, why didn't you tell this story? Well, because we only have about 50 minutes. David spent a lot of time fighting his neighbors, uh, the neighboring countries. Uh, for the most part, he honored the Lord. He, not to say that David was perfect in any way. He was far from perfect, but uh, he, was, he tried to honor God. Before David dies, there was a family struggle for power. So David's pretty much on his deathbed. David's son, uh, Adonijah, uh, has, was having a big celebration to make himself king. He's going to declare himself king at this celebration. The prophet Nathan went to King David and asked him, do you know that your son Adonijah, do you know what he's doing? 1 Kings 1, 28. King David responded, call Bathsheba. She's an important part of the story. It goes way back. So she came back in and stood before the king and the king repeated his vow. As surely as the Lord lives, who has rescued me from every danger, your son Solomon will be the next king and will sit on my throne this very day, just as I vowed to you before the Lord, the God of Israel. Then Bathsheba bowed down with her face to the ground before the king and exclaimed, may my Lord King David live forever. Then King David ordered, call Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. When they came into the king's presence, the king said to them, take Solomon and my officials down to the Gahan spring. Solomon is to ride my own mule. 
There Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet are to anoint him king over Israel, blow the ram's horns and shout, long live King Solomon. So you can see how this stage is set for major problems in the kingdom. We have David's sons being knuckleheads. Now Solomon is the king. Solomon wanted to honor the Lord as David had. Solomon became, he didn't do a great job. Uh, Solomon became the wisest and the wealthiest of all the kings of Israel. I would love to go through that text, but again, got to hurry. Samuel, or pardon me, Solomon was the king who built the first temple. So up in Jerusalem, up until this time, they had just used the tabernacle that they had from the, the wilderness from years before. Solomon comes along and he's going to build the temple. Solomon's big mark in the history of Israel is he built the temple. It's a seven-year project, uh, very ornate, lots of details. It's in 1 Kings chapter 6. Um, tempted to read it all to you, but I'll leave it for you later because this afternoon you need some stimulating reading. So read 1 Kings 6. All the measurements and materials and it's exciting stuff. Number three, a divided kingdom. When Solomon died, I know we just fast forwarded really fast. Thus fast forward. When Solomon died, his son Rehoboam became king. Now Rehoboam vowed to be a harsher king than his father Solomon. The 10 tribes from the north rebelled and appointed Jeroboam king over Israel. So the north is gonna be Israel, King Jeroboam. That's the orange line that is on there. And you see, Jeroboam had been hiding out over here in Egypt. And so he runs over here and they make him king up here in Israel because down here in Judah, they have Rehoboam and he basically declares he's gonna make slaves out of the whole nation. Does that make sense? The promised land has now been officially divided. The land God gave to Israel. He promised them this great inheritance. He gives it to Israel and they arrogantly argued over it. They greedily fought over it. They selfishly defended their own opinion and desires and they divided God's gift to them. There's many applications for this illustration. Very similar to King Saul, we say things like, oh, this is going to be better if we divide. Knowing full well in our heart that we are wrong and sinning against God. The second thought that we have is God loves me. He'll let me buy with it. Watch what happens we're skipping forward again in the history of Israel to 2 Kings chapter 17. Yeah, 2 Kings 17. If your Bible has titles, it says, Samaria falls to Assyria. Then the king of Assyria. No, I didn't put it on the map, but Assyria is way up here. They're going to come. They're in, the northern, they're in the northern part of the big map. They're going to come down here into Israel. Now the king of Assyria invaded the entire land. And for three years, he besieged the city of Samaria. 
Finally, in the ninth year of King Hoshea's reign, Samaria fell and the people of Israel, the people of Israel, all those that live in this green area here, were exiled to Assyria. They were settled in colonies in Hala, along the banks of the Arbor River, in Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. The disaster came upon the people of Israel because they worshiped other gods. They sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them safely out of Egypt and had rescued them from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. They had followed the practices of the pagan nations and the Lord had, that the Lord had driven from the land ahead of them, as well as the practices the kings of Israel had introduced. The people of Israel had also secretly done many things they were not, that were not pleasing to the Lord their God. They built pagan shrines for themselves in all their towns, from the smallest outpost to the largest walled city. They set up sacred pillars and asherah poles at the top of every hill and under every green tree. They offered sacrifices on all the hilltops, just like the nations the Lord had driven from the land ahead of them. So the people of Israel had done many evil things, arousing the Lord's anger. Yes, they worshiped idols despite the Lord's specific repeated warnings. The few Israelites that were taken captive to Assyria they kind of get lost. They, they go from, so the Assyrian king, he takes them from here. He takes a few of them back up. Most of them are killed, uh, but a few of them go back to Assyria and they get kind of lost in history. The end of the Northern kingdom began, the end of the Northern kingdom of Israel began when King Jeroboam, their first king over the Northern part, the Northern kingdom of Israel, he thought it was better whenever they divided the kingdom, him and his wisdom, he thought it was better for the people to have a local place to worship instead of having to go south and worship in Jerusalem in Judea with those other church folks that we don't like anymore. Are you following? I don't want you to have to go to Jerusalem. I don't want you to have to go to the temple. So Jeroboam, in all of his wisdom, had two golden calves made where they could worship themselves. I mean, where they could worship for themselves. <laughs> Do we ever learn from history? Do you see how sin slips in reasonably and it divides God's gift to you? What about the southern tribe, the kingdom of Judah? Well, 2 Kings 25 tells us about the fall of Judah. Babylon takes uh, control of Judah, setting up their own puppet king, Jehoiakim. Uh, he refused to pay tribute to King Nebuchadnezzar. We have lots of stories about Nebuchadnezzar uh, of Babylon. And that is when we see the first group of captives uh, taken from Judah to Babylon. So Daniel and his buddies, they were part of that group. Uh, Babylon puts in another king, Zedekiah, over Judah. And of course, Zedekiah rebels against King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon lay siege to Jerusalem. And here's the story in 2 Kings 25. So now we're talking about the southern kingdom. Oh, I had to make an X to do that. So they're, they're gone. Ju uh, Judah is down here. Very sophisticated map, huh? So on January 15th, during the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon led his entire army against Jerusalem. Jerusalem. 
They surrounded the city and built siege ramps against its walls. Jerusalem was kept under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah's reign. By July 18th in the 11th year of Zedekiah's reign, the famine in the city had become very severe. No food in, no food out. And the last of the food was entirely gone. Then a section of the city wall was broken down. Since the city was surrounded by the Babylonians, the soldiers waited for nightfall and escaped through the gate between the two walls behind the king's garden. When they headed, then they headed toward the Jordan Valley. But the Babylonian troops chased the king and overtook him on the plains of Jericho. For his men had all deserted him and scattered they captured the king and took him to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where they pronounced judgment upon Zedekiah. They made Zedekiah watch as they slaughtered his sons. Then they gouged out Zedekiah's eyes, bound him in bronze chains, and led him away to Babylon. Here's the sad part. On August 14th of that year, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Zebuzaradan, the captain of the guard and an official of the Babylonian king, arrived in Jerusalem. He burned down the temple of the Lord, the royal palace and all the houses of Jerusalem. He destroyed all the important buildings in the city. Then he supervised the entire Babylonian army as they tore down the walls of Jerusalem on every side. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took as exiles the rest of the people who remained in the city, the defectors who had declared their allegiance to the king of Babylon and the rest of the population. But the captain of the guard allowed some of the poorest people to stay behind to care for the vineyards and fields. That's a significant part of this big story, okay? They did leave some people there in Judah. At, at Jerusalem. So the Babylonians broke up the bronze pillars in front of the Lord's temple, the bronze water carts, the great basin, bronze basin called the sea, and they carried all the bronze away to Babylon. They also took all the ash buckets, shovels, lamp sniffers, ladles, and all the other bronze articles used for making sacrifices at the temple. The captain of the guard also took the incense burners and basins and all the other articles made of pure gold and silver. The weight of the bronze from the two pillars, the sea and the water carts was too great to be measured. These things had been made for the Lord's temple in the days of Solomon. Each of the pillars was 27 feet tall. The bronze capital on top of each pillar was seven and a half feet high and was decorated with a network of bronze pomegranates all the way around. The capital is, because uh, I have to explain it, you have a, you have a column and then at the top is this piece, this ornate piece. That's the capital. So whenever, when you see it on houses around here, it's like, you know, the capital's this big, but there was seven and a half feet. Does it kind of give you a picture of the grandeur of the temple? Big deal. The temple is destroyed. Jerusalem is destroyed. Israel has been taken off to Assyria. Judah has been taken off to Babylon, what is left. Being a faithful devoted follower of Christ is what unites the church. Being a faithful 
faithfully devoted follower of Christ is what unites the church. As we each follow Christ, there's unity. Does that make sense? I feel like I took a hard right turn and lost some people. Being a fully devoted follower of Christ is what unites families. It could even eventually possibly unite a nation. It is when the individual, that's you, begins to feel that you have the latitude to decide whether or not you are going to follow God's instructions, that is when division creeps in. Like it when we're bashing on Israel, huh? Like Israel, it's easy to become what James calls the double-minded man who is unstable in all of his ways. It is when we call ourselves followers of Christ and then we do whatever we want to do. That is when chaos and division sets in. I wanted to read it. I'm not gonna take the time to read it, but Ephesians chapter four speaks to the unity of the church. As you and I walk in Christ, we are supernaturally unified. It's pretty incredible. Selfish ambition and people pleasing divides us divides churches, it divides families, it divides relationships. Salvation in Christ Jesus unites us. Following Christ together unites us. So let us fix our eyes and our hearts on Jesus so that he will be glorified in the unity of our lives and the unity of our families and the unity of his church. We do not have to divide the gifts that God gives us. As we follow him, we can keep unity. You've been listening to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message. We would like to invite you to one of our service times at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings here in Farmington, New Mexico. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at desertheightschurch.com.